Well, good morning, and again, welcome to worship here at Trinity South Naperville. I'm Pastor Mike. For those of us who've uh, perhaps not met before or are meeting for the first time today, we are entering into a new teaching series here at Trinity Churchwide uh, called, uh, very simply, Advent. And this is the first week of our Advent series where we're focusing on watching for the coming of the Lord Jesus. And for those of you who are uh, are particularly aware of the church year in the calendar, the season of Advent doesn't actually start until next weekend, on uh, December 2nd and 3rd weekend, but we are starting a week early to accommodate our Christmas Eve Sunday morning and New Year's Eve Sunday morning schedule. So that's why we're starting a little bit early. Let's open up our message with a word of prayer. Would you pray with me? Uh, Dear Jesus, thank you so much for this day and the opportunity to focus on your word and to begin a new teaching series here that focuses on watching and waiting and preparing and beholding the coming Christ child. So we ask that you would come and dwell with us now in your word and that you would change us from the inside out so that we may anticipate your coming Uh, not only intellectually, but also emotionally and spiritually in ways perhaps that we haven't before. And so we ask all this in your name and pray that you will speak and guide us now. In your name we pray. Amen. Well, as I said, uh, being that this is the first week of our new series, we want to define what Advent actually means. And if you look it up in the dictionary, look it up in uh, in, in church history and in uh, the church dictionary and, and uh, religious terms and such, you will find the word arrival. Advent has to do with the arrival of the coming Christ child. And for us, that is merely, um, that is so much more than merely just acknowledging the fact that Christmas Day is coming up, as if we need to simply be prepared and watching for the coming of a day on the calendar. Uh, we are actually um, preparing ourselves to rejoice and to behold the coming Christ child in, uh, in such a way that, as we talked about last, uh, the last few weeks in our This Is Us series, that, uh, that is empowered by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit uh, growing us and deepening us in our faith teaches us on an annual basis every year as we get to this season to be prepared to look for and to watch out for the coming Christ child. And this, of course, is on the, the tail end of, you know, looking back at the history of the church and the history of where Jesus was born as a baby and went to the cross for us and died and was buried and rose again from the grave and ascended into heaven. We look back at that historical fact, but we also look forward to his second coming, uh, when the scripture says he will return on the clouds. And this could be kind of like when we all experienced the last lunar eclipse. Now, uh, raise your hand in the group here if you actually went out and bought some of those um, awesome-looking glasses and then went out in your yard or uh, in the yard where uh, you work or at your school and got the opportunity to look up at, at the eclipse. So maybe a few of us uh, were able to do that. In particular, I had the opportunity to take the bike out for a ride, and I chose instead of looking up because I didn't have the cool glasses I chose instead of looking up to simply go around and count all the neighbors out in uh, the front yards there in our neighborhood to see how many people were staring awkwardly up into uh, the sky there waiting for the coming uh, lunar eclipse. And that was kind of cool because I was able to count a bunch of people that I'd never actually met before in our neighborhood. 
And then if they happen to look down, just give them a little wave that I was uh, I was watching them uh, in their uh, their watching activity of the lunar eclipse. Uh, but what we're going to be talking about today, in particular, is the story of a man who was also watching and waiting, and uh, his name was Simeon. Uh, as it was read a little bit earlier uh, by Cassie, the, the story of uh, Simeon meeting the parents of Jesus at the temple for a number of uh, of of uh, law-based requirements that they had to fulfill there at the temple after Jesus was born. Uh, we're going to dive into his story and take a look at uh, why God was ha- would have us to watch the skies uh, for the second coming of Christ and to prepare for that. So let's take a look at the story. Now, if you're if you're looking along in the scripture with me and, and taking a look at Luke chapter 2, uh, as we read just a few minutes ago, You'll see that the scripture says in verse 25, At that time there was a man in Jerusalem named Simeon. He was righteous and devout and was eagerly waiting for the Messiah to come and rescue Israel. Uh, The Holy Spirit was upon him, the scripture says, and had revealed to him that he would not die until he had seen the Lord's Messiah. And on this particular day, that day, the scripture says, uh, the Spirit led him to the temple. Now, this is great timing Um, for us just coming out of our This Is Us series where we talked about average everyday people being called into ministry by the power of the Holy Spirit and reaching out to people in the name of Jesus and speaking and teaching and leading and baptizing all by the power of the Holy Spirit in uh, in new and unanticipated ways so that people were coming into the kingdom by the the dozens and droves. Um, this is a similar level of activity that's happening a little bit earlier than that, uh, where Simeon had uh, had been a priest for many years and, um, and had been made aware by the Holy Spirit that he was going to live long enough to see the Messiah. Now, what we don't know is whether Simeon was expecting the kind of Messiah that most of the religious leaders were looking for, perhaps in that day, a, uh, a military leader who would rise up and would lead Israel in... Uh, insurrection or in rebellion against the Roman Empire and conquer them. So most of Israel and its religious leaders were looking for a Messiah who uh, would come in as a conquering military hero, sort of a shining white knight on a shining white horse waving a sword, uh, that sort of thing. And what we don't know is whether Simeon was expecting that kind of Messiah and was looking uh, for the coming of that Messiah when he was drawn to the temple that day, but what he found was instead was a baby. And uh, we know by the context of the scripture, reading a little bit further, that he accepted and received the Lord Jesus as that Messiah. So we don't know whether he was anticipating Jesus growing up to be that military hero or whether he was expecting Jesus to be more like the Messiah that is presented in Isaiah, who is a suffering servant, one who would die, who who, uh, whose skin would be pierced and, and striped for our sins and, uh, and die for us. Uh, we don't know which one of those two messiahs was, uh, was expected by Simeon, but we do know that he was drawn to the temple that day uh, in order to meet the Messiah. And, uh, and the scripture says, So when Mary and Joseph came to present the baby Jesus to the Lord, as the law required, Simeon was there. Now, if we take a step back for a minute and just take a look at three laws that typically happen after a male first child was born to a family. There were three laws in particular. One of them was uh, circumcision, and that happened on the eighth day after the child was born, and mainly the reason was because the mother was ceremonially unclean, 
uh, for seven days after the, the birth of the, of the child, basically just from, from childbirth. And so they could not appear to, at the temple before the eighth day. And when they got to the eighth day, they were supposed to bring the child to the temple to experience circumcision, which was, if you recall history from Abraham's time, um, was the mark of a, of a child of Israel, male child of Israel. So they had fulfilled that. And then the second and third laws uh, had to do with the cleansing of the woman spiritually from childbirth on the 40th day. And this was where Mary had to appear at the temple uh, to be blessed and to be cleansed from, uh, from the childbirth experience on the 40th day. And thirdly, uh, the child was supposed to be presented to a priest at the temple, and the parents were supposed to render a, uh, a redemption amount, which was five shekels or five silver coins. Um, the, the parents were supposed to give the priest on behalf of the child five shekels, five silver coins in order to redeem or to pay out the child's life from a life of servanthood as a priest. Now, this goes back to, uh, to the law of Moses, ancient Israel there, um, where they had a law related to the, the firstborn's um, lives being taken at the time of, of Egypt's captivity or uh, Israel's captivity in Egypt and, uh, and being held in captivity under the reign of Pharaoh. And you may remember the plagues and how the last plague was the, the deaths of all the firstborn um, male children in, uh, in Israel and Egypt. And so from that time on, there was a law in place that said whenever there was a firstborn male child, um, the, the parents had to bring that child to the temple and pay a redemption price to the priest. Now, Mary and Joseph probably were not expecting Simeon to be there. Now, Simeon, being a priest, could certainly have received the five shekels, and for all we know, he did. Now, the scripture just simply doesn't tell us whether or not they had that transaction, but what we do know is that Simeon was there, and he was drawn there by the power of the Holy Spirit, by the insight of the Holy Spirit, to meet the coming Messiah. So he was watching and waiting for the opportunity for the Holy Spirit to make him aware of the coming Messiah, and he was, in, in an anticipatory way, was prepared to take action and move once the Messiah appeared to him, and again, um, through his discernment of the Holy Spirit, he was able to determine, here is the actual Messiah. And the scripture says that he took the child in his arms, this is verse 28, and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, now let your servant die as you have promised. So here's what happened. Um, Simeon is basically asking God, you can go ahead and take me now, because the proof of the coming Messiah has come to fruition in this baby that I've met along with his parents here at the temple. Scripture says, I have seen your salvation, says Simeon, which you have prepared for all people. He is a light to reveal God to the nations, and he is the glory of your people Israel. Simeon was announcing there for the first time at the temple the coming Messiah who would save not only Israel and the kingdom of Israel, but all kingdoms and all nations and all people. He had been endowed by the Holy Spirit's knowledge and planning that Jesus the Messiah would be presented at the temple on that day, and he had a divine appointment, as we talked about in our last series, he had a divine appointment to meet Jesus the Messiah there and his parents at the temple. 
Now, what's really interesting about this meeting, not only is it a divine appointment, but is the fulfillment of a number of promises. One, there was a promise made to Simeon that Simeon would not die until he saw the Lord's Messiah. And in that moment, we kind of get the idea that perhaps Simeon is so old that he is ready to die, and perhaps he has been waiting and watching for many years. Now, there's no proof of that. Um, we think that's true. But in any case, we know that a promise was made to Simeon, and, this, and the promise made to Simeon had to do with the appearance of the Christ child. And so he was implicitly required to watch for that coming because his life would be extended to the point where he would meet the Messiah and then he would be prepared to go and meet his Lord. So we find that God is making promises not only to Simeon here, but he's also fulfilling promises to you and me and the kingdom of Israel that the Messiah would indeed come. Now again, it might not be the Messiah that Israel was expecting. It might not be the Messiah that you and I are expecting. But Jesus is the promised Messiah. He is the one that God has promised will come and save us from our sins. And so we are called to watch according to the promises that God has made. God has promised us that our sins will be wiped away as far as the east is from the west by the death, burial, and resurrection of the coming Messiah. And so we not only look back on the fact that that happened in history, and we believe this to be true historically, physically, and we also look forward at the same time to a, a newly historical and physical returning of Jesus the Messiah on the clouds. God is a God of promises, and here's one of them. In Acts chapter 1, verse 11, the scripture says, Jesus has been taken from you into heaven, but someday he will return from heaven in the same way you saw him go. And also in the book of Revelation, chapter 22, the scripture says, He who is the faithful witness to all these things says, Yes, I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. The idea that Jesus would be coming according to the promises of God are what, again, by the power of the Holy Spirit, led Simeon uh, to the temple on that day to find the Messiah and his parents waiting. Now, we don't know whether those silver shekels were changed hands. We don't know what the conversation was around the fulfillment of the law. We know that Mary and Joseph were devout Jews and were serious about practicing their faith, practicing their religion. Um, but, and, but we don't know any more than that, that they were there at the temple to, to fulfill those requirements. However, they ran into a Messiah and they ran into a, 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 a prophet, a priest, of, uh, of the Lord who was looking for the Messiah and came into contact with the Messiah in perhaps a way that was unexpected. Um, you and I can, can kind of identify with this a little bit when we experience the Christmas season. Right here on the cusp of the actual Advent season, we are, are going to encounter people all around us who are experiencing the season in a number of different ways. Some people just get absolutely joyful you see guys with, guys with beards grown out with little bulbs and lights and stuff in their beard. They're absolutely you know, embracing the season and just going all out to decorate their beards with, uh, with Christmas stuff. You see people's houses decked out, their trees uh, lit up in their windows, in their homes. You see people wearing ugly Christmas sweaters and going to parties. But sometimes as you, you go through all these experiences, you find people who are not feeling so festive. 
Now, maybe this applies to you or someone you know, but I would suggest that each one of us knows at least one person in life who will be described in this way. A person who is not so festive, who is not into the Christmas season, who perhaps is, uh, is a little down, who perhaps even is full-on depressed, somebody who is financially depressed and can't afford all the great fine presents that many of us buy and people around us buy, somebody who perhaps is not into being around family members and friends at, at the Christmas time, at Christmas season because of the depression they feel. Perhaps they hide themselves in alcohol or in some kind of substance addiction. Maybe they avoid the whole season by just kind of disappearing and being antisocial. Or maybe if they are social and around people, you can tell that there's something going on and that their countenance is not joyful and is not anticipating the coming of Jesus. Oh, there's a reason for this. Because the season itself brings to the head the idea that we are anticipating the coming of the Christ child again. It is, it's bound up in the idea of hope. The idea that Jesus has come and been born as a baby, yes, in the past, but he will come again on the clouds. He will come again, and as the scripture says, he will be God with us. He'll be Emmanuel. Here's what Revelation chapter 21 says. God himself will be with them. He will wipe every tear from their eyes, and there will be no more death or sorrow or crying or pain. All these things are gone forever. Now, I don't know about you, but my schedule tends to ramp up uh, exponentially around this time of year. Not only are we planning for Christmas services and parties and get-togethers at work and things of that nature, but we're also under compulsion, under pressure to perform during Christmas time. That means, you know, buying gifts for folks and wrapping them properly and making sure they get to the right people and sending Christmas cards and things that, that by and large, our society has embraced as a habit, whether or not we actually trust in God or believe in Jesus. Um, we feel the pressure to perform in this way, and our calendars tend to fill up. And, and, and don't get me wrong, there are tons of great activities and opportunities to get together with people, but for many of us, Christmas has just become stressful. It is just flat out over, overload, and we get overwhelmed and we get stressed, and the season just becomes downright, downright depressing, even though it's supposed to be a season of joy and a season of light. And so the reason we draw this to your attention is not to cause you to be depressed or to cause you to be sad about Advent or the coming of the King or the watching for the second coming of Jesus. But the point of bringing this to light is because Jesus himself is the light of the world. And even when, and especially when, we are in darkness, separated from God in our sin, the light of the Son of God comes and shines upon us, all of us. Have you ever thought about why the sun goes down every day on the other side of the earth and then rises again the following day? That's not by just sheer luck or happenstance. We believe that God created the world to bear witness to his character. Now, the sun sets every day and we all go into darkness somewhere in the world. And then the following day, what happens? The sun rises and we're all under the light of the sun. This is exactly what happens with Jesus. We are in darkness in our sin, and the Son of God, Jesus, rises upon our sin, illuminates it, brings it to light, and then as we trust in Jesus, 
our sins are healed and wiped away and placed as far as the east is from the west in, re- in relation to our holy and perfect God, our sinless God. This is what the Christmas season is about. And while we say that, we are surrounded by people every year who need the good news of Jesus. I would submit that not only are we called to, to look up into the sky and await the second coming of Christ, but we're also to look around us and to be aware of the coming of Christ and the work of Christ already happening right here in the people that we know and will interact with, especially during this month. That could be friends and family, co-workers, folks that we are going to see in this season for the next four to five weeks, people who will be depressed, who will be put off by the Christmas season, people who will not have a relationship with God through Jesus. These are the ones that we are called to watch for, the ones that we have an opportunity to share the good news of Jesus living in us and dwelling in us by the power of the Holy Spirit. These are the ones that God will bring across our paths as we walk through the Advent season together, expecting and anticipating the coming Christ child. So as we kick off this series and as we kick off the season and as we decorate and as we dress up and as we go to parties, as we make that yummy food and all the snacks and all the ornaments on the tree and everything that we traditionally do at Christmas time, let's endeavor together by the power of the Holy Spirit to be aware of what God is doing around us in Jesus in the lives of people who need him. Those people can be reached for Christ through us and the power of the Holy Spirit working in us. And in fact, not only can be, but they will be. God promises that he will never leave us nor forsake us. That means he is dwelling among us. And God is not an idle God. He is a God who is active and on the move. He calls us to watch for him. Not only the second coming of his son on the clouds, but the work that his son is already doing here among us and those we love. Would you pray with me? Dear God, I thank you so much for the coming of the Christ child. And I confess before you, God, sometimes I get wrapped up in the season so much that I forget about the reason why we have it. And that is simply to remind us to watch, to watch for you and your work in the second coming of the Christ child on the clouds, but also in the work that he is now doing here among us and among those that I love and that we love as a church. Heavenly Father, I ask that you work through the power of the Holy Spirit, that you work new faith in me to step out into relationships in a way in the next few weeks that perhaps I've never done before, to open up a conversation or an opportunity for someone to come to know you through me. I ask this, God, knowing that as I confess to you that I feel fear and I feel weakness around this idea, that you will meet me in that fear and meet me in that weakness. For where I am weak, I know Christ is strong. So I ask that Christ go before us and that he speak and lead through us and particularly through me over this next few weeks. God, line me up with people who need to hear from you and to, uh, to experience you and your love.